The first reading tonight is from Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Uh, It's found on page 828 of the Pew Bibles. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ, Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. The second reading is from 2 Corinthians 5, from verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in which what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thanks, Polly. As I say, tonight's our, our last night in our series on the local church. Just to whet your appetite, next week we kick off a new series looking at the book of Revelation, and we spend about 12 weeks in the book of Revelation. Let me pray. Lord, we've uh, sung your praises and we have uh, offered petitions and we've enjoyed meeting people. But now we come to your word. Uh, we come to your word with reverence and with awe, uh, longing for you to teach us, to feed us, to nourish us, to shape us. So please do that powerful work in each one of us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Tonight I want to think about mission. I want to kick off by asking you a question, which is, what are you uh, passionate about? Uh, What do you spend your time and your energy uh, thinking about or or doing? What has your heart? Uh, If I I asked your friends, uh, what is X passionate about? What would they say? Is Is it cycling? Is it triathlon? Is it... Is it your family? Is it your career? Is it home renovations? What, what grips you? What has your heart? I'll ask you a different question. The question is, if I said church by the bridge is passionate about, what would you say? What are we passionate about as a church? What do we spend our time and our energy focusing on and talking about? See, if we claim to love God, then we should love the things that he loves. If we claim to follow Jesus, then we should talk about the things that Jesus talks about. If we claim to have a a heart for God, then we should have a heart like God. So what do you think God is passionate about? What grips God's heart? hate to break it to you, I don't think God is too concerned about how many gold medals we win at the Winter Olympics. I don't think God is too concerned about whether you take the job at Macquarie Bank or or the Commonwealth Bank. I don't think God is too concerned about whether your kids go to this preschool or to that preschool. I don't think God is too concerned about X, Y, or Z. What is God's heart? What is God's passion? First, it's written on every page of the Scriptures. Throughout the whole Bible, you hear the heartbeat of God. And God's passion or God's heart is simply this. He wants to save souls. He longs to see people come to know his Son as their Savior and Lord. God's passion is to to win souls for Christ and to see those souls grow in Christ. To to win the lost and to grow disciples of Jesus. Uh, to, To take people from death to life and see those people grow in their maturity in Christ. That is God's heart. Let me show you from the Bible. Ezekiel 18, verse 23, God says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? No, he doesn't. No, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? God's heart is, is not longing to see people commit sin. God's heart is to see them turn from their sin and have life. God's heart, 1 Timothy 2 verse 3, is this is good and pleases God our Saviour whose desire, whose heart, whose want is for all people to be saved. 
and come to a knowledge of the truth. What does God desire? People to be saved. 2 Peter 3 verse 9, God is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. There is no other name but Jesus under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now do you hear the heartbeat of God? Saving souls. Winning, winning, winning the lost. Bringing people from death to life. That is the heartbeat of God. He longs for people to hear the gospel, to repent and to believe. And that's why when you read the Bible, it's full of examples of people on mission. When I use the word mission, let me clarify. By mission, I don't mean just going overseas. Uh, by mission, I don't just mean doing good works. By mission, what I mean is, is communicating, articulating, verbalizing, verbalizing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Talking about his life and his death and his resurrection and his return. And urging people to turn from their wicked ways to repent and believe and have eternal life. That is doing mission. And as you read the Bible, there's lots of examples of, of personal mission. Do you remember the uh, Samaritan woman who met Jesus at the well? When she'd met Jesus, what did she do? She ran and she told her friends, I've met Jesus, I've met Jesus. Uh, remember when Philip met the Ethiopian eunuch and he's reading the scriptures? Well, what did Philip do? He sat down with the Ethiopian eunuch and he explained the scriptures and pointed him to Jesus. He's a man on a mission. And I'm, I'm guessing if you're a Christian here tonight, and if I asked you, you know, how you first came to know Jesus, many of you would talk about somebody, some individual who sat you down and told you the gospel, who told you the good news about Jesus, his death, his life, his resurrection, his return. But it's not just the one-on-one -on -one mission. Now, the Bible has examples of the mass mission, you know, Jesus preaching to the crowd, Peter at Pentecost preaching, repent and believe, Paul preaching to the Areopagus, so what is the role of the local church when it comes to mission? That's what we're grappling with tonight. Uh, George Banner is a social sort of commentator. He says this. He says, if the church is the hope of the world, then the world has no hope at all. Is that true? Have we so lost our missional edge that we've got nothing to offer the world? You see, when we just read Ephesians chapter 3, there's an extraordinary verse, Ephesians 3 verse 10, which says that now through the church, through the gathering, God has chosen to, to reveal his wisdom, to reveal the gospel, that, that he's reconciling people to himself and he's reconciling people to each other through Christ. And so we as the church, we as the body, are the vehicle through which God is going to take all his good news into the world. How can you say we've got no hope for the world? When I tried to prepare this talk, what I really wanted to do was to, to find just a verse of Scripture where we as a church were commanded to do mission. It's just the way I'm wise. You know, that bit of legalistic thinking comes into my mind. You know, give me a verse, give me a, a text, and I have to do it. But you know, God in his wisdom doesn't do that. You can search the scriptures and you won't find a command that we must do mission. It's more just the expectation, of course we do mission, because we're living for Jesus and we love Jesus and he's everything to us. And so of course we'll do mission. 
Uh, oh, but what about, the, um, what about the Great Commission? Doesn't God command us there? Well, let's look at the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. But it doesn't say that. Literally, it says, As you go, make disciples. The command is not to go. The command is just to make disciples. As you go, as you go about life, as you live in this world, as you live and church, we should be just making disciples. Uh, The love of Christ should just flow from us. And so we want to talk about Jesus because we love him so much. And that's what you find in the book of Acts. The early church, they just gather together and they sit under the word and they devote themselves, Acts chapter 2, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And as they gather, what does God do? He adds to their number. Same in 1 Corinthians 14, describing the, the early church. As they gathered, the expectation was that people would walk into their gatherings and they would hear what we're singing, and they would hear what we're saying, and they would say, wow, God is among you. I find that liberating. It's just telling us to to be church, to do church, to do life together, to sit under the word together, to preach the word, to sing glories to God. And just as we gather, then unbelievers will hear the message, and God will add to our number. I find that incredibly liberating. Because it's not about law, It's all about grace. We just want to talk about Jesus because he means so much to us. So what do we need to learn as a church? As a church, when it comes to mission, I've got three Ps for you. First one is this. Be convinced about the power of the gospel. As a church, we've got to be convinced that the gospel message is the most powerful message in the whole world. Look at Romans 1 verse 16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Look at those first five words. I am, first four words, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Why doesn't Paul say, I love the gospel because it's the power of God? I'm convinced of the gospel because of the power of God. Why did he put it in the negative? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm assuming it's because there were times in his life and times in his ministry where he would have been very tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. Because that gospel message had put him into prison and caused him to be beaten and flogged and his life was on the line. You can imagine him turning up into a new village, a new city and thinking, am I really going to preach the gospel here? He'll be tempted to be ashamed of it, but he's not. Why is he not ashamed of it? It's there. It is the power of God. It's not just powerful words or powerful ideas. This is literally, the word is dynamite. It has the power to change lives, the power to save souls. When the gospel is preached, people really do move from death to life. God breathes into them eternal life as the message is communicating. That's how powerful the gospel message is. And it's powerful for who? For the salvation of everyone who believes. For every man, woman and child, old, young, rich, poor, black, white, everyone who trusts in Jesus can be saved. That is the power of the gospel. Remember when Jesus met Nicodemus? Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and and Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, uh, you must be born again. 
It's not an option. You must be born again. And that is the reality for everyone who lives on this earth. They need to have new life in Christ. They need to be saved. Their souls need to be saved. How is they saved? Through the power of the gospel. And we as a church must never be ashamed of that gospel message. We must be confident that it is the gospel that brings death to life. It is gospel that transforms lives. We, we can't rely on gimmicks. We can't rely on mission events. We can't rely on just living nice lives. We need to be communicating and talking and articulating about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his return. And I fear that sometimes we are ashamed of the gospel. I find it much easier to talk to people about what Jesus has done in my life than I do to really explain the gospel. It's possible to have a conversation with people over years and years and years and talk about you know, what Jesus is doing in your life but never actually explain the gospel because you never mention sin. You never mention the fact that actually we've all turned away from God and we need saving. And you've never mentioned the fact that Jesus actually died on your behalf. You've never mentioned the fact that the wrath of God was poured out on him instead of you. And you've never mentioned the fact that he's risen from the dead and he's defeated death. And you've never mentioned the fact he's going to return in glory and you're going to be judged. Now try it. It's easy to talk about church. It's easy even to talk about uh, what Jesus is doing for you. But try introducing to that conversation concepts like sin and judgment and grace and cross and resurrection. And the conversation looks very, very different. I just wonder whether we're ashamed of really talking about the gospel. You know, we talk about our mission partners. And we talk about the Bennets and the Brownies and the Fistula Hospital in Ethiopia doing great work. And we talk about Alyssa Yule in Nepal doing great work. But they're not there just to do good work. So they're there to talk about Jesus. Have we lost confidence in this gospel message to change lives and save lives? Will people come into this building and leave understanding who Jesus is, what his death meant, the fact that he's going to return, and understanding grace? There's a, a, tr- a, a, a true story, apparently it's true, of, of a plane trip uh, from Sydney to London. In the, the window seat, there was a businessman. In that dreaded middle seat that no one really wants, is another businessman. And in the aisle seat, there was a young girl of about 20 I don't know the political, the political correct way of saying it, but she had very low intellectual ability. About half an hour into the plane trip, this young girl turned to the businessman in the middle of the seat and said, um, do you brush your teeth? And he said, oh, yeah, I do brush my teeth. And the girl said, oh, that's good, because if you didn't brush your teeth, the teeth would rot and drop out. Then she turned to the businessman and said, uh, do you smoke? And the businessman said, oh, no, I don't smoke. And the girl said, oh, that's good, because if you smoke, your lungs would rot and they'd be destroyed. And this young girl who's a Christian says to the businessman, "Uh, do you love Jesus? Now, this businessman was a Christian. (laughs) And he said, yeah, I do love Jesus. And the girl said, oh, that's good. If you didn't love Jesus, then you would rot in hell. And then she turned to the businessman in the middle seat and said, "Uh, can you ask that man next to you whether he brushes his teeth? Uh, Do you brush your teeth? The girl wants to know, yeah, I do brush my teeth, that's good, because if you didn't brush your teeth, your teeth would uh, rot and fall out. 
Can you ask that man next to you whether he smokes? Uh, the girl next to me wants to know whether you smoke. No, I don't smoke. Oh, that's good, because if you smoked, then your lungs would rot and they'd be destroyed. And this Christian businessman is sitting in the middle seat and he is sweating and his heart is panicked because he knows what's coming next. <laughs> and the young girl says to the businessman, oh, can you ask that man next to you whether he loves Jesus? And this Christian businessman turns to the man next to him and says, oh, the girl next to me wants to know whether you love Jesus. And the man said, no, I don't love Jesus. And they spent the plane journey talking about the Bible and Jesus. And that Christian businessman said he was just ashamed and cut to the core by this young girl who was not embarrassed to talk about Jesus. She might not have done it in the way that you and I would do it, but she had no shame and no fear in just talking about her saviour. And I wonder whether we are ashamed of the power of the gospel. The second P for you is the priority of the gospel. Because I think churches are losing their way. What does Acts chapter 4 say? It tells you that salvation, that redemption, that God's rescue is found in no one else. There's no other name, no other name but Jesus. So Allah does not save and Buddha does not save, and your good works do not save, and being nice do not save you. There's no other name but Jesus given to men by which we must be saved. Now, if that statement is true, and I believe it is true, if Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, then the priority, uh, the primary thing that this church is about is preaching Christ. We've got to proclaim Christ. Because that's the only name that's going to bring people from death to life. In this great book, Why We Love the Church, uh, Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, social action is hot and evangelism is not. In churches today, social action is hot and mission or evangelism is not. And so churches pour all their time and their energy and their resources into social action. You know, homelessness, uh, AIDS awareness, relieving poverty, Uh, prison stuff, education, third world debt. And it's easy to see why. Because those horizontal problems are all around us and we want to make a difference. I find it much easier to talk to people in Kirribilli about the good works that we do as a church. It's much easier to talk about the fact that teams go into James Mills Retirement Village or we do lunches down at Greenway or there's people doing food van or there's people doing prison ministry. It's much easier to talk about those good works that we do. And it is right And it is proper that we do those good works. Please hear me very clearly. I'm not a hard-nosed fundamentalist who say that social action is a waste of time. It is right and important and vital that we as a church and we as Christians step up and make a difference in this world and we're salt and light in this world. But what is people's greatest need? What do people need most in life? Salvation. They need their souls saving. How are their souls going to be saved? By hearing the good news about Jesus. And that means that all the good works that we do, all the social action that we do, must, must, must involve praying for and taking every opportunity to talk and to demonstrate the love of Christ. I think it would be tragic if on the last day, There were people who said, well, 
you fed me and you clothed me and you cared for me and you supported me, but you never told me about Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, where he's talking about living as, as light in the world, living according to Christ, he says, make the most of every opportunity. He's not talking about doing good. He's talking about preaching Christ. Grab every opportunity to talk about Christ because the language of 2 Corinthians 5 is that we are Christ's ambassadors and the love of Christ compels us. We cannot help but talk about Jesus. As we serve, as we help, as we do good works, as we feed people, we are always looking for ways to talk about Jesus because that's the primary focus of this church is gospel proclamation. Let's not confuse the role of the local church and the role of individual Christians. Please listen very carefully. We as individual Christians are urged and encouraged by the scriptures to do good. Uh, Titus chapter 3, you know, be eager to do good. And I love it when Christians here come and tell me about all the good works they're doing. People in the refugee uh, shelters, uh, people going to the food van, people going to rough edges, people doing Hope Street, all these good works, it's fantastic. But we as a church, we cannot do all these things. We cannot own you know, car repair and financial help and the prison ministries and the homeless shelters and literacy and drug abuse and poverty. We can't do all those things. We'd be overwhelmed, we'd be overburdened and we'd lose our cutting edge, which is preaching Christ. And I'm urging you as individuals to to take time and to use the gifts to get involved in that stuff. But please, please don't neglect the gospel. Because people's biggest need is salvation. In this book again, a guy called Dan Kimball says, I would rather be part of a Christ-centered church of any size where people are coming to know Jesus as their Savior than part of a church that uses missional language and does great social action, but no one is coming to know Jesus as their Savior. That's got to be true for us, isn't it? We're about preaching Christ. If you got it, we're not called to redeem cultures. We're called to redeem souls. And Christ has done that work 2,000 years ago. Our role is just to plead with people, be reconciled to God, be reconciled to God. Be convinced about the power of the gospel. Keep the priority of the gospel. And my last P is pray for the gospel. Because here's the most liberating truth. God saves people, not you. God chooses who are his, not me. God decides who's going to hear the message and believe and have eternal life. And that is so liberating when it comes to church and mission. We're just called to proclaim, to live it, and to pray. Again, in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus meets Jesus, Jesus says you must be born again. But then in verse 8 of chapter 3, he says, but the wind blows wherever it pleases. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He's just saying God will choose who are his. God decides who he will bring to new birth. It's God who saves. And that's why Paul can preach the same message to a whole group of people and get two different responses. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 15 we are to God the aroma of Christ among those being saved and those who are perishing. To the one with the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. Same message goes out, 
Paul doesn't know who the elect are, but to some people hearing the message of Christ crucified, it's like the smell of death because their hearts are hard and they won't believe and they don't believe and they refuse to believe. But to some people when you preach the message of Christ crucified, of his death, his resurrection, his return, it is like the smell of life because their eyes are open. It's the most glorious news in all the world. And that's the reality of mission. Some will lap it up, others will laugh in your face. We shouldn't always expect a favorable response because Jesus said, you know, wide is the road that leads to destruction and many find it and narrow the road that leads to life, only a few find it. You've got to grasp that fundamental truth. Ultimately, God says, and we're just called to pray. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says, pray that God may open the door for our message. Pray for opportunities for me to talk about Jesus. Pray that God will soften people's hearts and open eyes and bring people to faith. It's God's work to do that, not yours. Mark Devitt is a a preacher in the States, a a great preacher in a great church in the States. He talks about how he was preaching one night and someone came up to him and said, "Uh, you didn't close the sale. He said, what do you mean by that? He said, oh, you know, you preached the gospel, but you didn't close the sale. You didn't do an altar call. You didn't call people to repent and believe. And Mark replied like this. He said, Sir, I know what kind of sales I can close and what kind I can't close. And the redemption of an eternal soul is one sale that I, in my own strength, can't accomplish. I don't convert people. I tell them the wonderful truth about Jesus. I urge them to repent and believe. And then I pray and I let God save them. And that's liberating, isn't it? Be confident in the power of the gospel. Just keep preaching the gospel, keep living the gospel, and just pray for God to work. So do you pray? Do you pray for people? Do you pray for your loved ones who don't know Christ? I think I pray for my brother Mark every day for the last 20 years since I became a Christian. He's still not a Christian. I keep praying. Who do you pray for? Who do you have the courage to Pray for opportunities and then seize the opportunities to talk about Jesus. And us as a church, do we actually pray for the unbelievers that God would actually open their eyes, open their hearts to hear the message, to repent and believe? Then my three piece for you, the power of the gospel, the priority of the gospel, and praying for the gospel. I'll go back to my first question. What are you passionate about? What's got your heart? Is your heart breaking for the same things that God's heart breaks for? Saving souls and growing disciples of Christ. It's a challenge for us as a church. Let's just do mission. Not because we're commanded to, but it just overflows from us. We just love talking about Jesus. Let me pray. Oh Lord God, we, we're amazed that through your church you've chosen to reveal uh, the good news about Jesus. You've entrusted us with the message. You've, you've given us opportunities to plead with people, be reconciled to God. And we ask that you would 
Help us never to be ashamed of the simple message of Christ crucified. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, you would help us to get our priorities right and forgive us for times when we don't take opportunities. And please make us a prayerful church. I'll stop right now and I'll give you space just to bring before God those who you know and love who don't yet know Christ. Please, Lord, have mercy on them. Please, Lord, place in their lives people who can proclaim the gospel to them. Thank you for this church. Thank you for each other. I pray that we will be men and women on mission. I ask that for Jesus' sake.